Everybody, it's Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the Fan 9, Ben Ennis. Text line open at 590-590. Lots to get to today, including Leo Messi, apparently on the verge of becoming a member of Inter-Miami. That's right, coming to MLS. Toronto FC does not have any home games against Inter-Miami left, which is a bummer. Check that out for you. Uh, so don't worry about that. Also, Rory McIlroy speaking for the first time uh, at the RBC Canadian Open. Also, we'll talk about uh, whether you'll be able to breathe uh, in New York City tonight um, if you're going to the Yankees game, which you're probably not if you're listening to the sound of my voice. But uh, yeah, lots to get to today. Um, but let's start with the Blue Jays, who you can criticize as far as their front office is concerned for a lot of stuff. And I have. I did a little bit yesterday about the fact that there's no starting depth on this team, no six starter. It's major oversight. But one thing they got very... Very correct was the signing of Kevin Gossman, who has been absolutely everything they wanted him to be and, and, and more, really. Like, from day one as a member of the Blue Jays yesterday, more of the same, racking up 13 strikeouts, seven innings, one run ball, and despite having a start in which he gave up eight earned runs and another start in which he gave up seven, his ERA is two six three because his eight starts in which he's allowed one run or fewer... His 3.1 fan graphs war tied for the most in baseball. His 113 strikeouts tied for the most in baseball. But his $21 million a year salary only puts him tied for 13th. Guy could be on the way to his first Cy Young after finishing top two. Uh, sorry, top 10 over the last two years uh, as he was spectacular yesterday and by and large has been spectacular as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. All right. An update on uh, the air. It's it's bad here, but not as bad as it is in New York City. I've been I've been following this IQAir.com website, which is like giving you real time updates on on as far as the the impact these forest fires that are raging in Quebec uh, are impacting the air quality. Uh, Toronto was like inside the top ten yesterday. Now we're up to four, but New York City, as of right this second, number one worst air quality. In the world, and I, in the three days I've been following this, they're into the, the worst category, hazardous. I've never seen a, a city into the hazardous range. Uh, so that's where Adnan Verk joins us from. I don't know, New York City proper, maybe not, but like close enough. He of MLB Network, uh, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. How's the air, man? <laughs> I'm choking away in disgust right now, Ben. I was so excited. We were supposed to be live. MLB tonight, me and Harold Reynolds for the Yankees-White Sox game tonight. We're going to do the pregame show. I texted my boy Booney, going to have you on set. Going to see Liam Hendricks. Going to see uh, Stanton. Hopefully Rizzo on set. And we got the call. You know what? The air is so bad. We're not going to chance it. Just go to the studio and see caucus. As you said, not quite New York City proper, but I'm 10 miles from the city, and it's a disaster. Like, as I'm driving right now, I feel like I'm in Mad Max Fury Road. Like, it's apocalyptic right now. And some might say almost a nod to apocalypse now. Mm. Like, I feel like Duvall. I walked outside. I go, I, f I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Feels like victory. And let's say right now the big L is Canada because everyone is blaming me, going, hey, what's up with Canada? I go, hey, I can't speak for the entire country. They go, no, no, this is wildfires from Canada. That's your country. It's your fault. Indoor recess today for the kids. Now we can't have nice things. I said, well, if you want to point fingers, you can point towards the Quebecers, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to speak for French Canada, but it's a mess right now, Ben. I, uh, I don't know if they're going to get the Yankees game on tonight. I think it's 50-50 at this point. I, I mean, yeah. it's uh, – 
it's dicey, and I'm shocked how bad it is. I, I mean, and here's the other thing. My wife's from California, originally, as you know. She said to me, listen, when there's California wildfires, it's not like it's a day and then it just moves on. Like, I'm now worried how long is this going to last? Is this a couple days? Is this a week? Because as you pointed out, yesterday was bad. I feel like today's worse. You're, you're coughing away right now yeah. in this very hazy smoke. Yeah, no, uh, what I read, uh, at least as far as Toronto's concerned, is tomorrow's going to be worse. I don't know if it can be any worse than the images I'm seeing coming out of New York City. Again, I haven't seen it go into that purple hazardous range on the website that I've been using to monitor this stuff. I guess as of us speaking right now, the, the game is still a go. Uh, it's bad here, and you can smell it outside. Again, like the pictures I'm seeing from New York City, it's it's orange. Like it, it literally, you can't see across bridges. Like I don't know if you can see if you're an outfielder in in center field at, at Yankee Stadium, will you be able to see the ball off the bat? So I'm driving right now by the Meadowlands, of course, for the Giants and the Jets play, and I'm looking. And Ben, you're right. I wish I could take a picture. That's kind of dicey while I'm driving, but yeah, you're right. Do I can't see the skyline. Normally, normally when I'm driving, I can see the Manhattan skyline. It's one of my favorite parts. By driving, I can't see anything. I can see one building, maybe a few miles in front of me, and that's just all orange and gray. It's insane. It's just even even now I'm driving right by MetLife. I can see MetLife, but it's hazy and it's not that far away. It's like uh, you know half a mile from me. Like it's a gigantic seventy thousand seat stadium. That's how thick the smoke is right now. So it's uh, it's wild, man. I, this is going to last. I would think at least a day or two, and especially when you put it into perspective. You said. Like, it can't be worse oh. like Dubai. Hmm. But you're telling me it's worse than those areas right now. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's uh, Dubai's number two. Delhi, India is number three. New York City, far and away, way, like, double the amount of, of, of particles in the air than, than those two places. It's insane right now in New York City. Um, and for uh, reference, for anybody going down to the game at Rogers Center, Blue Jays and Astros tonight, the roof will be closed because of the, the air quality. All right, let, let's talk a little baseball. Because uh, they're going to play it here tonight, for sure. I just mentioned, like, Kevin Gossman, the numbers have been ridiculous, despite the fact that he's given up 15 earned runs over a two-start span um, during the season. But he still has an ERA in the mid-twos. I know Nate Evaldi's having a great season. Shane McClanahan, he's also having a great season. Garrett Cole's in the mix, too. But, I mean, can you make the case that Kevin Gossman is the best starter in the AL? I wouldn't go quite that far, but I do love him, Ben. I'm with you that that was an outstanding signing. I mean, Gossman, you know his story. He gets called over the Orioles. Everyone thinks he's the next big thing. He's the next Jim Palmer in his jockey underwear. That doesn't happen. Gossman struggles, control issues, ERA's inflated, four and a half, five. They don't, okay, we're done with you. Goes to San Francisco where they can fix pitchers. He goes to Giants. He's reborn with my favorite pitch, the splitter. It's so aesthetically pleasing. It's so filthy when Gossman throws it. You know, Tony, best splitters in the game. Gosman, let's go with Gosman. Basically, save five million dollars, and they made an outstanding pick. I'd go with McClanahan. I think he's ridiculous. Every time I see him, a lefty that can throw ninety-eight with pinpoint control, I think he's the best starting pitcher in the American League. But you're right to throw Gosman in that conversation. I probably have Cole second. I believe Sonny Gray leading in uh, ERA, so he's there as well. But you're right about the fact that Jay's hit on that pick. I mean, you can uh, certainly bang your head over the lack of depth, as you mentioned, but. This guy's a stud, and there's no reason this won't continue. I believe it's a five-year deal. This is year two. So yep. we're looking at three more years, I think, here of greatness because, again, Gossam wasn't great early in his career, so it wasn't like he was being overly taxed. So despite what his age may be, I still think he's youngish for his age, and he's been phenomenal. But I know you're going to ask me about Manoa. Yeah, that, I am. That's been the number one story. Like, everybody at MLB Network, whenever I see him, they go, hey, what the hell is wrong with Manoa? Like, it's, it's head-scratching to have a guy 
whose top three selling a year are going to be this bad. And somebody had mentioned to me last year, they think it sent them down to single A, and they drew the comp to Halliday, who you remember mm-hmm. had that great start, almost through a no-hitter's first start, then he was a disaster, went to double A, rebuilt it, and now the fact that he's actually going to go down to spring training, I was surprised because I, 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 I agree that he's been horrible. But I just say anytime you send a guy to the minors, it's, it's a really big wake-up call. But clearly – John Schneider and the entire brass, Shapiro Atkins must have spoken with Manoa and said, hey, we got to fix this. Like, we can't keep throwing you out there. That start against the Astros was nothing short of an absolute disaster. So the Jays, the prevailing sentiment from the people I work with is they're not going anywhere unless they fix Manoa. And I try to argue. I said, listen, I know he's critical, and I get the fact he was the ace. But if Gossman's the ace, mm-hmm. if Barrios turns things around, which he has been better than the last six starts, if Bassett, who was tremendous with his wife giving birth, throwing seven two throws scoreless, I'm not saying Manoa isn't important, but I think it's a little facile to say, oh, without Manoa, the Jays can't go to the playoffs. Like, if you make a move to your point, go get another starting pitcher, and Kikuchi's not, but you can cobble it together. But it speaks to the importance that everyone feels of Manoa, that this guy was supposed to be can't-miss, no-doubt, absolute, top-of-the-rotation guy, and now it's just a disaster. Well, and you can be skeptical of of first-round picks, which Manoa was, right? Like, even with minor league success, even after one year or, or almost a full year in uh, in the major leagues as a successful starter. You can be skeptical because there's plenty of stories of guys that have started off strong and then people get a look at them and they make adjustments and then they uh, they adjusted the adjustment and then like it doesn't work out and they can't figure it out. But this was two years and the second year better than the first year for Alec Manoa. What a crazy sport, Adnan, that you can have a, a guy that was in the rookie of the year uh, voting one year, second year is top five in, in Cy Young award voting full season, never injured, and go from that to bust it all the way down to A-ball in his third year, and it's just early June. Like, that's, I, it's not totally unprecedented, but it's it's pretty close. No, it's exceptionally rare. I mean, Al Leiter and Dan Plesak, two former Blue Jays, as you know, were doing a breakdown on MLB Network, and they said, okay, look at his mechanics. It isn't anything worrisome in terms of his physical delivery. Look at his velo. Again, those numbers are good. The biggest thing that jumps out is the walk rate. Like, it's astronomical how much he's missing the strike zone. And Al was saying, listen, so much of this game is mental. Like, with Halliday, you remember, he got sent down, read Dorfman's book, mental ABCs of pitching, rebuild confidence in himself, concentration, et cetera. He goes, Manoa looks shook. Like, quite simply, he does not have the same confidence. You could feel it. And that's starting against the Astros. When, when he's trying to blow a ball foul, like, this guy's like, please, please give me an out. When it's first and second, another base hit, like you can tell he's fighting it on every pitch. And it almost felt inevitable. If there's guys on, they're going to score. Like, Manoa needs a clean inning because it's like, if one or two guys get on, like, eh, his stuff isn't good enough right now. It's going to get hit. 95 is getting hit because it's straight. There's no spin, no rotation, et cetera. So I think what they're going to really try to rebuild more than anything is his confidence. So them go to single lane and go, dude, you're capable of being one of the best starters in the game. Trust your stuff. Trust your instincts. Attack the zone. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than a guy who is nibbling into that many walks. Like, it's just, it's self-destructive for a pitcher. So at the very least, throw strikes out. Let's get you back to where you were. Okay, is it is it almost better then that it's mental if that's all it is? And there's indications that it's it's more than just mental. And, man, I can't I can't get away from the thought of the, the one – big difference this season than the first two that he spent in the major leagues of baseball is the pitch clock as a guy who is not exactly a fast worker in his first two years 
in in Major League Baseball, uh, and there's a couple of ticks uh, down as far as velocity is concerned with his fastball. But if it is entirely mental, isn't that a good thing? Like, isn't that better than holy cow, you're totally out of whack, and we gotta like, I mean, Halliday, there was a mental component to it as well, but there was also a reworking of his entire delivery when he went all the way down and worked with with Mel Queen for the first couple of months of of that. Uh, 2001 season is it almost better if it's just a mental thing with Manoa great Mel Queen shout out and yes I'm with you because in the case of DeGrom like there's an example where you go oh my god they gave him 185 million dollars and in all likelihood DeGrom's not going to pitch I think Ben till opening day 2025 you know yeah. as well as I do Tommy John's at least a year more like a year and a half mm-hmm. and we're halfway through this season so he's not just going to show up magically next September so more than likely the Rangers will have paid $70 million for 30 innings of Jacob DeGrom by the time we get to 2025. Like, that, that is a catastrophe. Like, anybody who's upset about Alec Manoa, you can go, you know what, dude? He's not making a ton of money. It's early in the year. The Jays are still in a few games of a wild card spot. We can fix this. Like, it's, it's worrisome. It's definitely concerning. But let's figure this out. And I'm with you. It can't be, you know, it's like uh, Yogi Berra once said, 90% of the game is half mental. Like, there, there has to be some physical component to this. But it could be much worse. I'm with you. If you were like, eh, he's kind of had some soreness, had to skip a start or two, not sure, might be something with the elbow, barking a little bit, then I'm like, oh, my God, dude, you might need Tommy John. Like, then we're having real issues. If this is just Manoa's stuff is being hit a lot and he's walking a ton, let's rework some things, okay, that's fine. And I, I like your point with the pitch clock. I haven't heard that mentioned anywhere. That's probably a good point. He was not a fast worker. Maybe he is being a little too sped up and needs to slow things down in his own mind. But, yeah, it's. Like, DeGrom is like DEFCON 1. I saw that. I go, oh, my God. Every single person was like, wow, why did the Rangers give him five years, 185? You see that, and you go, hey, thank God the Jays avoided that kind of catastrophe. Yeah, for sure. And and DeGrom will be at least 37, you would think, when he, when he toes the slab again in, in the major leagues of baseball. And, hey, there's a Justin Verlander comp if you want to use that one, but there's only one Justin Verlander. And also, that was Verlander's first TJ. This will be DeGrom's second the the comp I wanted to make to 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 Degrom, who's uh, frankly like his career could be over, is Sandy Koufax, whose whose career was over at the age of thirty, right? He had won three Cy Youngs by that point, um, and we have two now for Degrom. I was also looking at innings totals, despite the fact that he was done at thirty years old. Koufax has a thousand more innings than than Degrom does, even at the age of thirty five. But like, how do you feel about that that comp, Sandy Koufax, Jacob Degrom? Well, that's pretty good. I, I never forget the line about Koufax. They said his arm looked like a parenthesis. Like, that's how bad his elbow yeah. was. You couldn't straighten the thing out because of all those incredible curveballs. You throw, like, a classic 12-6 and six curveball. And you're right. If you look at those numbers, I think his last year in 65, he threw, like, 306 strikeouts. It was just insane numbers. And throwing over 200 innings, of course, when every guy was doing that, there was no such thing as a bullpen. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see the comp because even, even Koufax's career was amazing. First six seasons, pretty average. Next six seasons, unhittable. Like, becomes an absolute legend and forever lionized. But I'm with you. I, I think we get too caught up in, all right, Tommy John will come right back. Especially the second time. Like, Evaldi's one of the few guys I could think of, second time Tommy John, who's been incredible, as you mentioned, for the Rangers this year. Generally speaking, it doesn't work out that way. And injuries can completely be, you know, calamitous to it. Look at Soroka. Like, yeah. our fellow Canadian went from Mike Soroka to now Michael Soroka. He looked like he was, I believe he was top six in the Cy Young conversation mm-hmm. after that year. And then since then, he hasn't been healthy. He pitched a couple of starts, though he's back in the minors. Like, there is no guarantee once a guy gets health, he'll just get back to doing who he was, especially for DeGrom. This is now, like, it's going to be four straight years of injuries with this guy. It's crazy. 
Yep, yep, yep. No, you can't uh, You can't say the Rangers didn't uh, think this was a possibility. It absolutely was uh, with uh, a guy that spent a lot of time on the injured list uh, throughout his career. All right, so as of right now, the Yankees are going to play the White Sox in, in hazardous uh, air quality conditions, apparently, Yankee Stadium. Uh, Aaron Judge hit the IL yesterday. They're 9-14 and 14 when he isn't in the starting lineup over the last couple of years. I mean, that's that's the like I, I talk about the lack of pitching depth with the Toronto Blue Jays, and that's true. And we'll, we'll see how impactful that is on Saturday when they they play their first game without one of the five starters that started in the rotation this season. Hard to, not to look at that and and look at the loss yesterday. Although Josh Donaldson trying to make it close in the ninth inning with a solo shot and say that the Yankees might be a one man team, Adnan. Oh, absolutely, bad. I mean, the numbers are just insane with Judge and just what a difference maker he is. 30 and 19 when he plays this season, 6 and 7 when he does not, and second IL stint. This is a guy, by the way, who's always been healthy. He played 157 games last year. He's got a 674 slug, 13 home runs over his last 19 games. And he's so critical of that team because the rest of their offense, quite frankly, is underwhelming. Like for all the talk about Anthony Volpe, and trust me, if you're living in the New York, New Jersey area, you think this guy's the next Jeter. He's hit like 193. Like I get it. He's a nice kid. He plays some defense. He definitely steals bags. He's athletic, but. You're 193, man. Like, DJ LeMahieu, since that incredible year, has not been the same guy. He has, like, a 700 OPS. Rizzo's the only guy who I think is excellent. His close to 300 is legit. I love Anthony Rizzo. Stanton is just working his way back. Donaldson just working his way back. You know, Bader, hamstring injury, could be back by the weekend or early next week. Like, it's amazing. For the Yankees, are such a big payroll. The people crush the Mets in their $350 million payroll, but the Yankees, like, their offense is – um, worrisome to say the least. That Willie Calhoun is their DH. You couldn't have spotted <laughs> Willie Calhoun like a month ago on the streets of Manhattan. Like, who is this guy? And he's like your everyday DH, really, for the Bronx Bombers. So it's um, they only have to cobble together offense on a nightly basis. Maybe a hit from Higashioka. Maybe Glover Torres runs into one. They don't really have consistent offense, especially when Judge isn't in there. So it's um, it's definitely a big loss not having them there for at least ten days. Hopefully, it's not worse. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, you, you can hope uh, for that if, the, if you're, you're the Yankees or a Yankee fan. Uh, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you're like, yeah, take your time, Aaron Judge. Um, so before I let you go, <laughs> I, I know it's it's just early June, and, and we did see in 93 John Allroot hitting 400 in August. Luis Arise right. has my attention, Adnan. I love this stuff. He's actually, the uh, Sarah Langs, uh, the great Sarah Langs, uh, who you know very well, tweeted out the, yeah. some of the numbers. He's, a, he's 85 for 212, which, which is the exact number that John Allrood was through 212 at-bats in 1993 wow. as well. He's hitting 401 now. I, I, I know it's, it's, it's impossible. You, you really can't hit, four, and especially if you're Luis Arise who takes no walks, right? Like you need to, when Ted Williams did it in 41, Took a, he had like a 30% walk rate. He was unbelievable, and the bat rate was very low. You can't do it um, without walking, which Arise doesn't. doesn't hit home runs either. He only has one home run. But this is amazing what we've seen the, for the uh, first couple of months of the season for a guy that, you know, if you were going to pick somebody to hit close to 400, he would probably be the guy. Without question. I did an essay back in April. I'm like, this guy is the best hitter in baseball that nobody talks about. Like, all the other hitters get mentioned whether it's Judge, Tatis, Bryce Harper, Acuna, but, like, nobody mentions a rise. And Harold Reynolds made a great point to me. He said, you know, OPS is misleading because it clearly favors sluggers. It hurts a guy like a rise because his mm -hmm. OPS is never going to be in the top ten. But if you're just looking at batting average or just OBP, if you're just looking at, hey, the name of the game is to get on base, as you see with our boy Joey Votto, a rise is as good as they come. Like, it's amazing. And, I, and I'm with you that it kind of goes back to the nostalgia we have about being the batting champion. We've gotten away from that now 
because you focus on OPS, OPS plus, and other numbers. But, like, hey, there's still something cool to be saying you're a batting champion, especially with those numbers. Like, I got annoyed the last couple of years. You'd be like, oh, 316, mm-hmm. LeMahieu's a batting champion. I'm like, that doesn't feel like a batting champion. Like, I like 340, 350, 360. You go, wow, that's eye-popping. Older than 93, if I'm not mistaken, was 363. Like, I yep. still remember those numbers as a kid because I'm like, wow, like John Older <laughs> hit 363. Like, that's awesome. By the way, he's going in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. I think it's next weekend in St. Mary's, Ontario, because Scott, one of the uh, the Hall of Fame, Scott Crawford, I believe is his name, who runs the Baseball Hall of Fame, he reached out to me and goes, hey, would you like to have John Olerud? I'm like, I love John Olerud. I'm like, as a kid, we loved I was 15 and 93, how great he was. Apparently, he was on the network the other day. They said he was great, funny, disarming, et cetera. So I'm, I'm trying to get Jesse Barfield on myself. I've got Jay's memories of Jesse Barfield since I'm here on the network. But it's a long way of saying, Arise is special. He's awesome. And as is Sarah Langs. I'm glad you mentioned, Ben. For those who are not aware, my longtime researcher at ESPN, she still works for Major League Baseball, MLB.com. She's a researcher for the Sunday Night Crew. She's been battling ALS now for a couple of years. She first disclosed it to me a year and a half ago, and I was heartbroken. I'm still in shock. Mm-hmm. She went public with her diagnosis last fall, and I thought it was amazing what Major League Baseball did on Luke Eric Day. Starsforsarah.org, if you can donate. Uh, her boyfriend, Matt Williams, who's another great guy, all-time researcher at ESPN. We call him Matty Buckets, huge mm-hmm. NBA guy. He's at the NBA Finals, had to fly back, throughout the first pitch for Sarah at City Field. Then he went back to go watch Jamal Murray and the Nuggets. Uh, but Sarah's awesome, man. Real inspiration, what she's doing to raise awareness for ALS and ALS research. As she correctly pointed out, it's crazy that there's still no cure, even though Lou Gehrig was diagnosed, it feels like, you know, 100 years ago, 80 years ago. Um, so thank you for mentioning, Sarah. She does an incredible job. And, and thanks for mentioning Louisa Rise. I'm with you, man. I, even if you can just keep the pursuit going, even if it's 380 yeah. going into August, that would be a ton of fun to see as a baseball fan. Yeah, I remember 93. I was in baseball camp in 1993, and every day we showed up, we had to, we had to, uh, we had to rattle off what John Olerud was hitting. Everybody, you know, I had to make sure that they were keeping tabs <laughs> on on how close to 400 John Olerud was. And like, yeah, okay, he tailed off and hit 363, as you rightly pointed out. He hit 290, like the final two months of the season. But yeah, wow. it dropped from 401 to 363. Yeah, it's impossible to hit 400. It it, it really just is not going to happen. But it's pretty amazing that uh, Luis Arise is doing it uh, even into to June. That's sweet. Uh, Adnan, always great to chat, man. Uh, stay safe out there because it looks uh, terrifying. Yeah, dude, I, I thought the mask we were done with, but I just mm. I was just picking up one of my kids from school. The masks are back. I'm like, oh, my God, hopefully only for a couple of days. So uh, I'll send you some pictures if it gets particularly worse, but keep checking on air quality index. I love the fact you're locked in on this. I can't believe we're worse than Delhi and Dubai. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah uh, it's not good. Still number one. All right, see you, man. Thanks, Ben. Take care. All right, there's Adnan Verk, uh, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Yeah, New York City, number one uh, with a 355 USAQI number, whatever that is. Seems bad. Uh, in fact, anything over 301 is uh, labeled hazardous. They are the only city in the world right now. And again, since I've been monitoring this site, which has been the last couple of days, that has gotten into the hazardous region, Delhi, India, number two, Dubai, number three, Lahore, Pakistan, Baghdad, five, Toronto, seven, uh, is the only other Canadian city in the top 10. It's, uh, it's not great out there. Um, massive news today in the world of MLS, as it looks like Leo Messi will be officially introduced as a member of Inter Miami. I mentioned Toronto FC already played at home against Inter Miami. So you won't see Messi this season play against TFC. They're in Miami later on in September. We have another Toronto FC giveaway for Saturday's matchup against Nashville SC, though. 
7.30 at BMO Field. To enter for a chance to win, text today's code word SING to 590-590. Again, today's code word is SING. Text this in to 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win tickets to Saturday's game. If you don't win with us, you can secure your tickets at Ticketmaster.ca. More details at Sportsnet.ca slash 590. So this is not totally out of the blue. It did feel like momentum was building towards Messi going to play with Ronaldo in Saudi Arabia. But this is a possibility I talked to our next guest about back in the winter when Messi accomplished everything there was to accomplish in soccer. Winning his World Cup. Already has a bunch of Champions League titles, has Spanish League titles, has French League titles. Just don't mean as much. There's nothing left. And he's 35, but he's still playing at an elite level, as we saw in December. But here he comes. He's on your doorstep, apparently. We'll talk to uh, Peter Galindo next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Time Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'm Ben Ennis. So here are the uh, trophies Leo Messi's won 34 of them with Barcelona, 10 La Liga titles, seven Copa del Reyes, four Champions League titles. Uh, he won the 2021 Copa America. And then, of course, in December, the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Next up, the MLS Cup, baby. As he is uh, not officially, but I mean, he's now spoken publicly about the pending signature that uh, will come to ink him to a new deal with Inter-Miami of MLS. Let's talk to Peter Galindo, soccer analyst, who we talked to about this possibility during the World Cup, or at least at the conclusion. It has finally happened, Peter. My surprise, because I figured he was going to follow everybody to Saudi Arabia based on how everything was trending, but it's a pleasant surprise for sure. Yeah, and and there is a report that uh, maybe some family issues uh, held that one up because like he was going to get more than a billion bucks, but uh, maybe his uh, wife not too enamored with the with uh, spending her her off time uh, in Saudi Arabia. E- either way, it's not like he's getting a pit uh, a pittance to uh, to join MLS, and we'll get to that in just a second. Yeah. But uh, David Beckham, Wayne Rooney. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, there's some massive names I haven't mentioned that Thierry Henry, like where do you put this in the pantheon of all-time big signatures by MLS? Well, look, recency bias is probably going to rule this, but the other major signing to this level would have been Beckham in 2007 because like Messi, global superstar, he transcended sports, he was one of the most recognizable faces on the planet at that time and still is, of course. But when you look at where each of those players were or are in their careers when they entered or are entering MLS, 
Beckham, yes, he was with Real Madrid, and he had won countless trophies, one of the most capped English players of all time. But Messi is arriving to MLS, or will arrive to MLS, seven months removed from winning the World Cup, where he played an integral role in getting Argentina its first World Cup in 36 years. And he was one of five players to record 10-plus goals and 10-plus assists in Europe's top five leagues at the age of 35. And he's coming to a league that is still very much on the upswing. And the fact that his signing is now sparking all these transfer rumors about maybe Sergio Busquets, his former Barcelona teammate, is going to follow him. Maybe fellow Argentine Angel Di Maria is going to sign on the free transfer with Miami. Like All these things put together, I think, make this probably the biggest signing in league history, and I don't think it's particularly close anymore. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, and and again, like he's not going <laughs> to maybe make the over a billion dollars he was going to make in a maybe even just a two-year deal in Saudi Arabia, but the, 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 the details that were leaked um, or that were reported by The Athletic yesterday, are, are mm-hmm. they, they seem rather tasty, and that's that he gets to share in some of the revenue generated by new subscribers to the Apple TV MLS package, yeah. that he gets to share in some of the revenue generated by more merchandise sales by Adidas. I mean, is there a precedent? For, for that in, in, in this sport, or at least in, in North American soccer? Well, when Beckham joined in 2007, all the owners kind of had to help that move come to fruition. So it's not uncommon for MLS to do this. What I find funny is if this happened in any other soccer league in the world, mm-hmm. everyone would be looking at this just with a puzzled look on their face, with an eyebrow raised going, what on earth is going on here? But because it's MLS and North American sports, it's commonplace, right? And obviously everybody by now, I'm sure, has watched Air, the, the movie about you know Michael Jordan signing with Nike and, and you know the unprecedented deal that was signed in order to get him to come over to Nike. So there is some precedent here in terms of the structure of the contract Messi is getting. And he's a Nike app or a, a, an Adidas athlete, so that obviously helps. They are a major sponsor of not only MLS, but also the Argentine national team. Argentina's opening um, a federation headquarters in Miami, so that's obviously helping out a lot as well. And I think that Messi and his entourage, and especially his father, Jorge, they're looking at this bigger picture in that not only can we get a cut from the Apple revenues, the Adidas revenues, and potentially own a uh, own a potential stake in Miami or possibly another franchise down the line, we really got the ability to do so many different things here after Lionel Messi is done playing. And I think that's what really appealed to them more. Yes, it's very difficult to turn down a billion dollars, even if you are someone of the stature of Lionel Messi. But the ability to be able to have that sort of control and possibilities for your post-playing career that can be very, very, very hard to turn down, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, and and David Beckham is living proof, right? He, he apparently part of his deal allowed him uh, the ability to buy an MLS franchise, which he bought in Miami, mm-hmm. which he helped grease the skids to allow Leo Messi to sign there. Uh, and there are a report that maybe a similar arrangement exists around Leo uh, Leo Messi. This is uh, what a, t- a 29 team league now, MLS. I, I suppose you could s- continue to expand. I mean, how how might that work? Do you think if after Messi's done, like he 
he would be an owner of a franchise that already exists, um, part owner of Inter-Miami? Like, are they giving him an equity stake? How do you figure that might work? There are reports out there that he might end up getting some sort of minority share in in Inter-Miami to start with, and then maybe the ability to open up a franchise elsewhere. And there are still some prospective markets out there. San Diego was announced a couple weeks ago. They've got their ownership group, but MLS is also looking at Vegas as is pretty much every other major North American sports league that isn't already in Vegas. So that could be a possibility. Um, There are many possibilities here when when it comes to potential expansion, because even though it is a 2019 league and it's probably going to go to 30 very soon, MLS is looking at kind of in that 32 to 35 team range, which I don't know how it's going to work, but there is still some room, wiggle room that is to be able to potentially expand somewhere where that market will be remains to be seen, but it's not like that's completely closed off either. All right. So he's 35 years old. Like you just finished saying like he's, he's, He's still pretty good. <laughs> he was it was pretty key in that uh, spectacular World Cup final against France, scoring twice and then in kicks as well. Um, this used to be a landing spot for guys at the well. Uh, this is at the end of his career, but like it was like a retirement plan, right? Where, yeah. where, where guys would take the money and yeah, sort of kind of care about the product on the field, but not really. Um, the, the the product has has gotten a lot better over the years. Like what is. What is the likelihood that 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 the the play tails off for Messi because he doesn't care as much because it's Inter Miami and it's not PSG to a lesser degree, but it's not Barcelona, which was on the table. Yeah, yeah, for sure it was, and I, I'm sure Joan Laporta, the president of Barcelona, is probably just weeping uncontrollably right now at the fact that yet again he wasted another opportunity to, to either keep Messi at the club or bring him back to the club. Um, but th- it is a fair question to ask because. One of the, it's a very minor detail, but this does come into effect for players of this magnitude. I remember a few years ago when New York City FC came to Toronto and played Toronto FC, they had Andrea Pirlo, Frank Lampard, and David Villa at the time. They were still very much in their infancy. Patrick Vieira was the coach. Um, And Toronto FC just played New York City off the pitch that day. Um, And this was during their uh, double winning or treble winning campaign, I should say in 2017. And one of the things that became very apparent was whenever Andrea Pirlo, who at the time was 37, but still just a sublime player on the ball, he was hitting these amazing passes on the turn on a dime to his fullback, a domestic based fullback who did not recognize, Oh, I have to make this run. I have to be positioned here when Andrea has the ball in this situation is going to pass it to me. Like little things like that are going to take getting used to for players like Messi because, look, let's be honest, as much as MLS has grown, that is the one side of the, of, of, of the quality of play that still has a lot of room for growth in that it's the tactical side that a lot of these players still need to learn. And that's really the one thing that a lot of these younger American and Canadian players who move to Europe always say. It's like, well, you know, it was a big adjustment tactically for me to move to, you know, insert, league name here so that would be the one thing that i'd look at in terms of maybe messi having to adapt to i think his level of play will still remain very very high of course because he's one of the greatest players of all time um and when pele went to the new york cosmos um when diego maradona was at the tail end of their of of his career as well 
They still played at a very high level. I'm sure Messi's going to be kind of in the same boat. Yes, it's probably not going to last for a very long time, but I think it's safe to say that over the next 12 to 18, maybe 24 months, he's still going to be playing at an unbelievable level and, just and, based on pure reflex. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, yeah, he, he can't get uh, that bad that quickly. Um, but yeah, it, it's, a, it's a hard one to quantify, right? Like just how good MLS is now. I mean, we have some measures, right? Uh, Seattle won the first uh, CONCACAF Champions League um, by a, a, an American-based franchise, an MLS franchise a couple of years ago. They bowed out pretty quickly in the uh, FIFA Club World Cup. Like where, I mean, is that a, a good indication of, of, of where MLS is, that they can compete for CONCACAF Champions League titles, but that like on the grander scale, like uh, on the world scale, when you end up in a tournament like the FIFA Club World Cup, that, that they're, they're still not a factor at all. Like how, how would you evaluate MLS's quality as a whole, especially in, in relation to the last five, 10 years? Really the big obstacle, and we've been having this conversation, I think, for the last 10 or so years, it's just the way that the roster rules and the salary cap is structured in MLS that is the biggest setback towards it really growing and becoming a, uh, a fully-fledged league and, and destination league for players, even in the primes of their careers, right? Because when you look at all these European players, a lot of them spend significant time in North America on vacation, or if they have like, say a few days off from their clubs, they come to Miami, they go to LA, they go to New York and and they really do enjoy the lifestyle. And the money's obviously there. I wonder if Messi coming and just the structure of his deal. And the fact that there is just hundreds of millions, if not now billions, thanks to Apple's TV deal of, of dollars in MLS now if you start to see them loosening the purse strings in this regard, because let's not forget David Beckham coming to MLS paved the way for the designated player rule. Maybe now Messi has a similar effect in that you start to see these clubs investing more and more money, even if it's for two or three players of that stature in the future, that's very possible. Um, Because when you have teams like Club America in Mexico paying 11 million us dollars, for a right back Mm. and that same position you are usually spending the league minimum in MLS kind of goes to show you where the gaps are when it comes to MLS becoming not just a a top league in the world, but maybe even a a top league in this region as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is awesome, right? We live in North America. We live in Toronto. And if he doesn't play in Toronto this year, we we expect him to, to play in Toronto next year. And that'll be a scene. Uh, I wish you could buy tickets for that now because I would be on that. Um, but uh, that, that's great. That, it's awesome. Uh, and, and I'm with you. I think he's going to play very well. Inter-Miami stinks right now, but I think their, their MLS Cup odds went through the roof uh, with this yeah. news. But, like, as a, as a soccer fan, Peter, is it not like – because, again, it is MLS and it's, it's on, on the rise and, yeah, and, and maybe this is uh, a real turning point that it'll, it'll get even better in, in the years to come. But Barca's Barca. And he could have played for Barca again. Is there a, a, like a tinge of regret um, when, when you think about what could have been for a guy who's 35, but again, like so close to his prime and looks so good yeah. just a couple of months ago? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There was a small part of me that sort of became a little bit sad knowing that the Barcelona opportunity was no longer there because you know, as you said, Ben, he can absolutely still play at that level. I mean, if, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo could still be starting for top European clubs at that age, Messi certainly can too. And I think he proved this past season, even though PSG maybe didn't have the season they expected, 
he's still one of the top players in the world. So he could have gone back to Barcelona, even on a loan deal for like, let's say next season, and then maybe come to Miami in 2024, very easily mm-hmm. could have done that and really lost no sort of semblance of quality or, or even tail off in any way. So that, that part of it is a little bit difficult to accept knowing that one of the, you know, arguably the greatest player of our generation is now leaving European soccer and is coming to MLS. That's, it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. Because Jersey sales are going to go through the roof wherever inter Miami goes, they're going to sell out stadiums. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's going to have a dramatic, dramatic effect for just the overall landscape and revenues of North American soccer, but for sure from the selfish point of view, from the soccer fan point of view, it would have been amazing just to see one final swan song for Messi of Barcelona, maybe right the wrongs of what happened in 2021. He comes back for a year, helps really push them over the top. And then he maybe starts to, to look towards maybe uh, spinning, spinning down his career from here. Uh, Miami is dead last in the Eastern conference on 15 points or yeah. six, six points back of, of the final playoff spot in the East. I mean, he is, he's messy. He's one guy though. I mean, it, would you put a ducket down on, on Miami to win it all? Despite the fact that they're dead last in their conference right now? Well, here's the thing. And, and I find this so funny because at the start of the year, they actually looked pretty good, but then injuries started to pick up. Um, they're pretty much running on fumes right now when it comes to some of their midfield options. Um, you inject someone like Messi into the team and if they start to get more healthy players, I'm sure they're going to make a slew of signings in the summer because clearly they're not just going to settle on Messi. They're going to do everything they possibly can to make them happy. Um, they're probably going to end up, and, and let's be honest, more than half the league also makes the playoffs. They can very easily recover here and make the playoffs and possibly make a run. We've seen this happen countless times in MLS. I mean, hate to you know give some PTSD to Toronto FC fans, but the Seattle Sounders were near the bottom, if not at the bottom of the Western Conference in 2016. They fired their coach, they made a couple of big signings, and then they end up winning MLS Cup from there, just when it looked like they were dead and buried. So it's very, very possible that they end up turning this around. Um, once they get healthy, once Messi's embedded into the team, and maybe the, the early... Uh, I guess uh, nerves kind of settle down because I'm sure a lot of those players are going to be on edge knowing that, Oh God, you know, I better not mess up here because Leo is going to absolutely tear into me if I don't, uh, if I don't do certain things. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah. It'll be electric. Apparently though, uh, not going to make his debut until uh, July. It seems um, next yeah. week is uh, an international week for, uh, for Canadian soccer playing the semifinals of the CONCACAF nations league uh, in Panama. Um, mm-hmm. This is not the one, though, that qualifies them for the, the Copa America, right? No, that is going to be in November, um, the next season's Nations League. So they're already through to the quarterfinals. I know it's very confusing. Cop yeah. loves doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, by virtue of their strong finish in this season's Nations League, they solidified a top-four place in the CONCACAF rankings, which means an automatic buy to next season's quarterfinals it's been revamped they have a group stage then they're going to have quarterfinals semifinals final if they win their quarterfinal against a team to be named later um then they qualify for Copa america that way so that's how that's going to work okay so what's on the line next week then a trophy first trophy in 23 years um if they beat panama they face the winner of the u.s or mexico in vegas and if they end up beating one of those two teams then uh, it's the first trophy since they won the Gold Cup in 2000. And the fact that John Herdman, named an experienced 
group kind of goes to show you that he wants the team that got them to where they are right now to have a chance to accomplish that, basically finish what they started in terms of winning a trophy, letting Atiba Hutchinson ride out on top, possibly Stephen Vittoria because he's 36 years old. I'm sure he's having one eye towards retirement, if not international retirement. So that's pretty much what this camp is going to be about. And then I guess on the bright side, if we're looking at consolations, if they don't get it done over these two games over the next week here, then there's always the Gold Cup that they can go out and try to win, uh, the final being July the 16th. Do you expect, uh, and, and yeah, like that's that's a big deal. Winning a, a trophy is a big deal, and, and we'll all be focused on that match. And, and then it, if, if they win it against uh, Panama, the final of, of the CONCACAF Nations League, um, are we at a point now where, hey, listen, not everything's resolved, but the, the conversation around Canada soccer as, a, as an entity has died down to a degree that the focus will, will be on, on the product on the field? I think so, and that's usually been the case, maybe apart from that She Believes Cup tournament involving the women, where obviously that was the, the big story throughout the entire competition. But when the men have played, that has sort of become the focus. I guess not dissimilar to when you know World Cups are hosted in Qatar and Russia and all the stories are off yeah. the pitch, then once the games start, everybody focuses on that. Um, but I do find it very um, poignant that... John, on his press conference today, when he was talking about the possible recruitment of Aiden Morris, a midfielder for the Columbus crew who's eligible for Canada and the United States, um, he kind of spoke about how the lack of youth camps has kind of deterred some players who are eligible for both Canada and other countries from possibly representing Canada because they've had those early opportunities to wear the shirt of another team, to, to really get to know the program develop you know a a real connection and the fact that he has now called for more elite friendlies and youth camps kind of goes to show you that you know Canada soccer has to start getting serious here because that world cup was a massive massive turning point obviously Mm -hmm. but if they don't build on that then this could be another opportunity wasted like we saw with the gold cup in 2000 like we saw with countless other examples during the 90s and, and 2000s as well yeah, I also saw him uh, comment on the Messi thing and said, ah, I wish he was a little younger and he signed with the Canadian team and then spent five years here. We can give him his passport and he can play for the national team, which is, yeah, that's that's quite an alternate universe you're living in, John. But yeah, if all those things were true, that would have been sweet. Uh, they're not. We'll just have to settle for, for Leo Messi playing in MLS uh, starting this summer. Peter, uh, always great to chat, man. Thanks for this. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, there's Peter Galindo, soccer analyst. Again, if you missed it, Leo Messi... I mean, arguably, he, it's him and Ronaldo as the top sporting stars in the world. You get in your silos and your bubbles and you think like LeBron James, that's the biggest sporting star. Like, I don't think anybody is convinced that that Connor McDavid is is on anywhere near that same level. But LeBron James is pretty big superstar in North America and globally. But like his star so pales in comparison to what we're talking about when we're talking about Ronaldo, when we're talking about Messi, that it's a joke. That Leo Messi, when when he talks to Apple, when he talks to Adidas, and he talks about profit sharing, and he talks about exactly the impact that his signing will make on the bottom lines of those companies, he knows it. Because it, it, it impacts the bottom line when he's playing in the biggest clubs in the world. So making this journey across the pond to North America, to Inter-Miami, to play in MLS, to become 
one of the, the, the many big names that have signed up to play in this league. It, there have been impacts made, and David Beckham being the first one, certainly, yeah, he left his imprint, and honestly, the reverberations are, are part of the story when it comes to Leo Messi. Nobody has arrived with, one, the superstar status. I mean, Beckham, I guess you can, you can, you can say Beckham arrived with a similar superstar status, but two, the quality of play that Messi brings with him, despite being 35 years old. I mean, who's going to argue against the World Cup being the tippy-top peak of competition when it comes to the game of soccer? And then the final being the tippy-top of the tippy-top and then playing France and going head-to-head, toe-to-toe with Kylian Mbappe, who's what, like 15 years younger than him? A lot younger than him, but looking just as good and being the most dominant force on that field and single-handedly almost willing his Argentinian squad to a World Cup. That guy, and that, that, wasn't, that wasn't 100 years ago. That was December in July is going to be playing against MLS competitions. And in September, we'll be playing against Toronto FC, albeit not in Toronto at BMO Field. Man, there is like, I love all sports and, you know, there's sports you can enjoy without star factor. Like it's just, there's something aesthetically pleasing about watching sports, but there's also times where you need to leave your house and, and go to a destination because you have a chance to witness a historic person or a historic moment. And when Leo Messi shows up for the first time next season in Toronto, I got to figure uh, more than uh, a few people are going to take that opportunity to go out to BMO Field to see him. All right, when we come back, they're actually going to play a a golf tournament, apparently, at Oakdale this week. It's been nothing but drama the last couple of days. Uh, Rory McIlroy spoke for the first time after uh, the merger between Liv and the PGA Tour. Uh, We'll talk to John Feinstein next, uh, author of uh, 23 New York Times bestsellers, including his new book, Fairty, the official biography of David Faraday, John Feinstein. Next, as the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, and Ben Annis. Text line is open at 590-590. The center of the golfing world is in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. As it kind of was a a year ago for the RBC Canadian Open. Of course, last year was Live Golf playing its first ever tournament. This year, it's uh, Golf Civil War coming to a conclusion as the PIF becoming uh, a a large investor, the biggest investor in uh, a new entity joining forces with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. Let's talk to uh, John Feinstein, sports writer and author of 23 New York Times bestsellers, his new book, Faraday, the official biography of golf icon, David Faraday, available 
right now. John, how's it going? Thanks for doing this. Going okay, Ben. Good to talk to you. Um, remarkable time right now. But, uh, yeah, uh, good to talk to you. Um, yeah, thanks for doing this. So, yeah, I mentioned the Civil War is over, um, and it was only a year ago that, boy, and, and, and we'll, got to, we'll get to Jay Monahan's comments from a, a year ago uh, in, in a little bit, but uh, it, it didn't seem to last all that long. Um, what, what, do you, what do you make of the time frame that, that Live Golf uh, and the PGA Tour just at war for not even really a full calendar year? Yeah, I, I was shocked uh, when I heard the news yesterday. I think everybody was uh, because inevitably when I was working on this Faraday book, the, you know, David went to live and, and this happened right at the end of my research. And so I had to rewrite the last two chapters so he could make a couple million extra dollars, although it's a lot more than a couple million extra dollars. But um, And we, we were talking and he said, you know, inevitably these tours are going to have to come together because uh, Liv is not going to run out of money. Saudi Arabia has more money than anybody. And inevitably, there's going to have to be some kind of peace. But he said it'll be three, four, five years. And I think that's what we all thought. Liv hasn't exactly taken off in North America, uh, either on TV or anywhere else. And yet Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, more or less folded his tent uh, with this agreement, uh, you, you know, I, I said I wrote a column in the Washington Post today, and I said the commissioner of all golf now is Mohammed bin Salman, yep. because you, you, they are the only investor in the PGA Tour now, unless they allow someone else to come in. Uh, the, the the new chairman of the PGA Tour policy board is is a Saudi, uh, and they're going to continue with the team aspect which i think is ridiculous there's only one team event in golf that matters sorry no no insult to the president's cup but the Ryder cup is what matters to most golf people and i it's i'm i'm stunned by this as you can tell by my voice but i i will say this if if anybody saw this coming um it was david Faraday, and that's why he made the jump to live because of it he thought eventually this would happen yeah, he is cashing in, and and yeah, kudos to him for for seeing the the writing on the wall. Um, yep. the, the the players who didn't jump at the cash uh, are feeling pretty bad about themselves. Although, like the way Rory McIlroy was talking today, it did feel like he was indicating that there's uh, some conversation to be had about him being made whole financially. He also mm -hmm. said that he's not just going to welcome the live players back into the PGA Tour. Uh, we don't know exactly the format. You mentioned the team format. That there was an indication in that press release yesterday that it will continue. There was also some indication that, like, everything will just run as it is right now, that the live tour will do its live tour thing and PGA Tour will do its PGA Tour thing and everybody will, will share the money and you can go back and forth between the two. Uh, how, how do you actually imagine this thing looking when we start a season next year? I wish I was smart enough to answer that question. Because, obviously, the Live Tour players are going to have to be included in PGA Tour events, uh, not just the majors. And they're going to also have to make an adjustment in the world go official world golf rankings, if I can say that correctly, because Live events have not been included. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons, legitimately to me, that Live events haven't been included is because they're 54 holes. Mm -hmm. You can't include 54-hole events in, in, in world rankings or in FedEx Cup rankings or whatever you want to talk about. So they're going to have to be adjustments made. And I think it's going to be pretty tense in, the, in those locker rooms. Um, Roy McIlroy, I, I know Roy pretty well. 
and I know Rory's ticked off now. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the money because he's got plenty of money, um, although it's always about the money, right? But <laughs> but but what he's ticked off about is he went out there and was Jay Monahan's personal PR shield for a year. Jay's doing the right things. We're doing the right things. But those of us staying with the tour. I'm 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 disappointed in my friends who've gone to live. I mean, he was out. He was the out front guy, and then Jay Monahan turns around and says, "Oh, just by the way, I'm folding my tent," and and, and sorry about that, Rory. Sorry about that. And, and you, you mentioned that you you wanted to get into what Jay said a year ago. I yeah. mean, I don't know how he explains this. I mean, he's out there citing 9/11 families and what they've been through, which is true, of course. Um, and then saying, you know, one thing about playing on the PGA Tour is you never have to apologize for anything for being on that tour. Well, guess what? Now you do. And, uh, you know, the old Ricky Ricardo line in I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. Jay's got some explaining to do to everybody, and uh, except maybe his family since he'll continue to make $14 million bucks a year. Yeah. I, did you? I was going to play it after we let go of you, uh, John, but have you seen the Jay Monahan clip from Golf Channel today? addressing his comments from a year ago? I have not, to be honest with okay. you. Okay. If you have, well, I mean, you have a, you, you gave us 15 minutes of your time, so you have 40 seconds. I'm going to play, I'm going to play the Jay Monahan clip for you right now. This is him being asked about, yeah, the, the, the coalition of uh, victims of 9-11 families. Uh, and last year in saying at the RBC Canadian Open that you've never had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour. Right. Here, is, here is Jay Monahan today on Golf Channel. I read Terry's comments. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously acknowledge her loss and completely understand her position. And to the question that you were just asking, you know, I wish, I think about the fact that I allowed confidentiality to prevail here. And in allowing confidentiality to prevail, I did not communicate to very important constituents, including the families of 9-11. And I regret that. Okay, so uh, he regrets not letting them know, not giving them the heads up that he was going to totally screw them, John. That he was going to throw them all under the bus, yeah. I mean, look, Jay is a a businessman. Uh, he's a smart guy. But he's not really good at PR. Um, and you could hear, I mean, his basic answer was humana, humana, humana <laughs> to that question. And, and because he's got no other answer. Oh, no. I should have told him uh, in, in advance before I threw them under the bus. And uh, Rory McIlroy, I think, found out last week that this was happening. And Rory had been in the middle of all the stuff going on to protect the PGA Tour from, from day one. Tiger Woods, too. Mm-hmm for that matter. And it's funny because I cannot repeat to you on the air what Faraday texted to me yesterday about what Jay Monahan was doing to himself physically uh, with this deal. Because uh, shockingly enough, it, it's, it's profane. Yes. Um, and and it, 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 to me, the embarrassment here, this is now Jay Monahan's legacy. Yes. No matter how much money players make, no matter how high purses go, uh, no matter what kind of TV deals he makes down the road, this is his legacy. He sold his soul to Saudi Arabia. 
Yeah, and it's and, and that's going to be in the, you know they're, they're, it's funny because I, I remember years ago when Tom Kite finally won a major and won the U.S. Open. He said, "You know what the good thing about this is? I know now what the lead is going to be on my obituary, mm-hmm. and now we know what the lead is going to be on Jay Monahan's obituary." A hundred percent. And and you know what? I, he must have known that signing up for this. Uh, and and I, there's obviously financial remuneration uh, that he received uh, for for this decision. No for, doubt. For for this uh, for this negotiating outcome um that being said like and apparently the 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 meeting with the players yesterday at uh, the rbc canadian open didn't go so well it was it was very heated right. like doesn't it feel like it's a matter of time before he's no longer actually you know at the head of the snake here and that he does take his golden parachute and goes to wherever yeah i wouldn't be shocked i mean jay's a young man i think he's in his early 50s um and it wouldn't shock me at all if if that were to happen, uh, like you said, he he's made his money. I mean, it's not like if he's out of a job, he's going to have to sell his house. No. Nope. Um, and and he, he probably knew that going in. But here's the thing about Jay Monahan. I, I I would never claim to know him well, but I do know him. He believes he can sell anything. Hmm. And I remember when when the when the tournament here in Washington was going away because. Uh, um, the guy who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers wanted and lives in Detroit um, wanted to have the, t- the tournament in w- the Washington tournament, um, and he was a, he was the title sponsor. Moved to Detroit, and of course, you know Jay and the rest of the tour said, "Oh, of course, anything you want." And I said to Jay that summer, "I said you're not going to have a tournament in the nation's capital." And he said, "No, we'll have a tournament in the nation's capital." I said, "You will?" He said, "John, I can sell anything. Hmm. We will get it. We will get a title sponsor." for Washington. And guess what? We don't have a tournament in the nation's capital. So Jay believes he can sell anything. He actually said those words to me. And I think in, in, in this context, he's thinking, I can sell this to the players because they are going to make more money. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And that's what he's going to say. We're going to make more money. And some players will say, but it's blood money. Other players will say, okay, how much? Well, and this is it. So, so Jay is the, is the the biggest hypocrite, obviously. Like going back to to last year, and like it, you you, you could have left the, the the names of the victims of nine eleven out of it, right? Like we and, we, and he brought it up to Jim yeah. Nance. No, no, a year was, ago. Yeah, and for that, like there, that's unforgivable. Uh, truly, yeah. it, it there is there's nothing. Um, I, but I do feel for the players, and like specifically Rory McIlroy here, right? John, sure. he didn't do that. I mean, I, maybe there were some comments about the morality, but it was about the prestige of the PGA Tour, and it was it was being loyal to the PGA Tour, right? And he's yep, well, it was. What, yeah. What, what's he going to do? He's not going to play pro golf. There's one place to play pro golf now. So like, I I, I I do feel like there's there's a real um, line of demarcation between Jay Monahan and and the players who are forced to now kind of eat it. Yeah, no, you're right because um, you know uh, Rory was was very clear on the fact that he believed this was wrong. I mean, remember, long before Liv came along, he and Tiger Woods both turned down huge money to play in Saudi Arabia once. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't. They they wouldn't even do that. You know, I, I remember Rory saying it would feel wrong, mm-hmm. and he's been consistent with that. He's stuck with that. You're, I've had people ask me today. Well, do you think players like Rory or some others will boycott? No, because like you said, this is what they do. Yep, they play golf. That's their job. And so it, 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 I know Rory pretty well, uh, and I have not reached out to him yet because I, I, he needs to be allowed, in my opinion, to kind of simmer with this. And I know he answered the question very diplomatically uh, in Toronto 
um, today. I guess it was today, right? Yeah, it was today. And, this yeah. And, and, uh, and Rory can be a diplomat, um, but I know, I know, I can say this to you 100% that he is seething, and he feels deceived, and he feels you know, thrown under the bus. And um, I don't blame him for that a bit. Or the other guys, you know, John Rahm, Ricky Fowler. These are guys who are offered millions of dollars and, and turned it down. Yep. Uh, and, and now they're sitting there going, okay, so Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, all these guys collected millions and millions of dollars. And what's their penalty? Nothing. No. Nothing. No. You know, other than people saying, okay, you, you took the blood money. And honestly, I don't think many of them really care about that. No, um, I wonder how you feel about Phil Mickelson, who also took mm -hmm. the blood money and Should it have was brought him up. Yeah, he he, um, he was upfront about it being blood money, right? The other guys could you know he close their eyes, that, yeah. yeah, like they're like I don't know, I just play sports. I'm not a. He said these are scary mfers, right? Like he's right. He, he he knew what they were about. Honestly, like the only honest guy in, in the whole thing, right? Um, so I, I I do view it through that lens, but. Well, I, I'm going to just break in here. He, he's not the only honest guy in the whole thing. He did say, yeah, they're scary MFers. That's true. But he also went on this thing, I want to grow the game of golf. Yeah, that's good for the sport. Yeah. The, guy, the, the two most honest guys in this, and I'll show a bias here, were Harold Varner III, mm -hmm. who said, I'm doing this for the money. Yeah. This is generational money for my family. And David Faraday, yeah. who said, I'm doing it for the blanking money. And 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 didn't try to go through anything like you know this is growing the game of golf blah 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 blah. He did like the idea of being in the 18th hole tower, but that's not why he went. He went for the blanking money, and so those guys I give credit to. Again, I'm biased about David, obviously, and also I biased in a different way about Harold Varner because I think he's a great guy. But um, but the guys like Mickelson and some of the others were saying, "Well, we're going to grow the game of golf. It's all going to be new and wonderful." Yeah, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, and again, back to the hypocrisy of Jay Monahan. Jay Monahan said it, which was oh, yep. oh yep. my god, sickening. Yep. Um, well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean when I say to you, Jay thinks he can sell anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 quite a thing. Um, uh, back to Mickelson for for just a second here. Sure, uh, John, you've been very uh, kind with your your time here. Um, so uh, yeah, it, like I'm, he's taking victory laps in Twitter. Uh, he's yep. he's he's dunking on everybody as is his want, right? And as is his right to a degree because you know like the 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 side that he bet on did win. His image yeah. obviously took a, a major hit with the the Alan Shipnuck book and the and the pull quotes from it. Do you think that the that his image has recovered? Is he all the way back? Like, where's a where's public perception, do you think, on Phil Mickelson today? Well, I think it's in recovery. Let's put it that way. Um, sports fans tend to be very forgiving, and golf fans in particular. Um, they want their heroes to succeed. Uh, that's why years ago, Frank Cherkini and the great uh, golf producer said to me that golf was unique in that in most sports, when an underdog has a chance to beat a favorite, fans get behind the underdog mm -hmm. in golf they always want the favorite to win you know you see it all the time i mean tiger woods was always the fan favorite uh, because he was the best player and phil's a great player and uh has a had a great image because he signed all the autographs and said all the right things and did what i call his eddie haskell routine with the public um but i i think it'll come back now I one big question here is will he, will he captain the Ryder Cup team mm -hmm. in 2025 because that was locked in before all this happened and then it appeared that he was not going to captain the Ryder Cup team now 
I think he may captain the Ryder Cup team. So he he may he may very well you know get to get to have his cake and eat it. Um, and I think most fans, most golf fans, because remember, most golf fans are, are very conservative. They're to the right, mm-hmm. um, and and most golf fans will will cheer him. Um, and again, uh, and and I also remember, I'll never forget this when Tiger Woods came back after his his scandals. Um, got to say plural mm-hmm. um, at Augusta first tournament back and Augusta's mostly white people. And he was, I remember he made a birdie putt on the eighth hole on Sunday to get into a tie for the lead. He ended up finishing fourth and the place went crazy. Yep. The place. Went, and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. Did they all forget what he's just done to his wife? And more importantly to me anyway, to his children. And it, it, it's like, if you win, yeah, if you win, people forgive all your sins. Yep, it, it's 100% true. All right, um, so I mentioned the, the book Faraday is out right now, the uh, authorized bio- uh, biography of, of David Faraday. We've had David on, on the program as well, so I'm a bit biased as well. But do you, uh, do you envision David being back calling PGA Tour events now? Well, well, let me put it this way. If the networks don't bring him back, they're morons. Mm-hmm. I mean, because David has always been unique. Um, on, on golf. He changed tele- golf on television along with Gary McCord, his buddy, who was the guy who brought him to CBS in the first place. And, uh, I, you know, do you want him still doing live events watched by 14 and a half people? Or do you want him doing, you know, the majors and, and the important events in golf with his unique brand of humor and insight? It's not just, David's not just funny. You've interviewed no. him. He's not just funny. He's really smart. Mm-hmm. And he's also lived an absolutely fascinating and sadly often tragic life. Yes. But if I were CBS and NBC right now, I'd be I'd be on the phone to his agent saying how much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and and it would be a big number, but it'd be worth it. Uh, John, uh, this yeah. was this was great. Thanks so much for this. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is John Feinstein, sports Good. writer, author of uh, 23 New York Times bestsellers, his new book Faraday is the official biography of uh, golf icon David Faraday, and it is available right now, uh, no doubt. It is great, uh, as John's great, and David Faraday's great. And, yeah, I, I, I envision some, some, some conversations with some broadcasters right now and uh, some inquiries about the availability of David Faraday. Maybe you don't have to pay him so much anymore because he's already gotten the big fat check from, from the live people. I don't even know how that works. Like, what if there are no live tournaments to broadcast how how does that look anyways so david faraday one of the honest guys like just up front again and this is i mean you're lauded for being honest about it not lauded because you're you know sacrificing your morals if you do th- in fact think that there is uh a moral dilemma involved here and i think we can all agree that it's uh, at best murky if not outright not great uh to take money from the saudi government considering their history of human rights and, yeah, you know, the uh, role in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and, you know, the majority of the 9-11 hijackers being from Saudi Arabia. Yada, yada. I mean, the list is long. But if you're not going to talk about that, if that's not a qualm for you and you're just saying it's a cash grab, I mean, there is... That's certainly a lot better than than what Jay Monahan did, which is egregious beyond egregious. And he's, like, there are guys that look bad in this. Man, Bryson DeChambeau was on CNN today. And in a- answering a question about the, the 
that's a great stuff that the Saudi government has done. He said nobody's perfect. Like, that's a guy that you can, boy, didn't look good going into this thing. Looks worse now. Could have just kept his mouth shut. Didn't. Made himself look like an ass. But as, as John rightly points out, if he wins, nobody will care. Um, and I, I, he hasn't done much of that recently either. But, no, he looks like an ass. I don't think Rory McIlroy looks like an... I, 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 I do find Rory McIlroy a sympathetic figure because John said, like, he he had beliefs that he stuck to and that it goes beyond the live tour stuff that he turned down money because, you know, back in the day, this is a previous regime of the PGA Tour, you could not pay a player an appearance fee to appear in your tournament. Canadian Open couldn't say, Tiger Woods, we want you back. Here's 50 million bucks. You're in the field this year. Not allowed. European tour, allowed to do it. They have an event in Saudi Arabia, and they used to do that, and that's why you would see that event just littered with big-name PGA Tour pros, and Rory McIlroy turned it down. He showed loyalty to the PGA Tour. He didn't say it was moral reasons, right? Like he did say, hey, this is... He didn't invoke the names of the survivors or, or the, the, the families of the victims of 9-11. He stayed away from that. Uh... I, I. Yeah, that was Jay Monahan because he did a year ago, like a year, not even a year ago. At this tournament at the RBC Canadian Open with the Live Golf experiment starting that very same week, stood in front of a microphone next to Jim Nance and talked about how you've never had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour. And that implicitly said you did, if you were a member of the Live Tour, in relation to the Saudi government's involvement in 9-11. Here's a guy a year later saying, yeah, that, I, I know I said that, and I'm not going to apologize for that or explain how this decision relates to that comment. The same people that he said implicitly were responsible for 9-11, he took the money from. And he double-crossed the, the players that he told to be loyal to him and the PGA Tour. There's only one major scumbag coming out of this thing, and it's Jay Monahan. Like, everybody else is like, you can talk about the lesser degrees of scumbaggery, there are, like, little scumbag minions, like the top, like, the Gru of scumbags is <laughs> Jay Monahan. He took the money. Um, and there's no explanation. Like, I do understand the humana, 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 because what, what is the explanation for, hey, we, we're, we're, the, we're the PGA Tour. We're the tour that is not funded by terrorists. Again, implicitly said. Year later, hey, uh, we took the terrorist money. What's, how do you explain that away? How do you explain those comments away? You can't. So the other guys that it's implied for, I guess that's also not great. They, they didn't say it explicitly. Jay did. And for that reason, like that stuff can't get by. I know I'm not the only one. I know there's a lot of players that feel the same way. And if you read Adam Stanley's great story on sportsnet.ca you get a bit of a sense of how angry some of those players were at that players only meeting uh with the now commissioner of the pga tour jay monahan not sure how long that lasts and 
off into the sunset. He will go with his many millions of dollars. Uh, I don't think we're done with this story by a long shot. Uh, but what a story it has become. All right, when we come back, Blue Jays, uh, they won a baseball game, even the series uh, at ones uh, against the Houston Astros with a spectacular performance by Kevin Gossman yesterday. Hey, Dalton Varsho hit a home run, pointed out on Twitter today that that home run did actually pull Dalton Varsho into a tie with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in Fangraph's war at point eight, which is, hey, good for you, Dalton Varsho. You've really turned it around. That's that's part of that discussion. The other part is, hey, Vlad, how about hitting a home run at Rogers Center this year, which has not happened. It's June. Chris Bassett on the Hill today uh, for the Blue Jays. We'll talk to Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic next. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Annis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into the biggest stories in Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Uh, they have postponed baseball game in the Bronx today. Yankees and White Sox because New York City, still number one. Worst air quality in the world right now. Um, 332, the air quality index, which is first by a long shot because uh, number two is Dubai. They're 170, so almost double the second worst air quality in the world. We're, we're dropping. We're, we're okay. We're only in the orange now. We're unhealthy for sensitive groups. Uh, we're ninth worst in the world at 149. So holding strong, but the the roof will be closed for today's game, Blue Jays and Houston Astros. Caitlin McGrath, Blue Jays reporter for The Athletic, uh, joining us now. So does, it, does that feel good? You want to be in the orange, right? Like uh, ultimately we'd like to be in the blue, but orange is certainly a lot better than purple. You would agree. I would agree. I feel like we're going in the right direction with air quality. Hopefully we stay in the orange and then, you know, keep going in the right direction. Yeah, that's it. It has, it's like, it's gone up and down though. And I saw some reports that tomorrow is going to be even worse, but uh, all right, we're hanging in. At least there's a, there is a roof. Uh, We'll be uh, playing baseball down at Rogers center. Um, Blue Jays, six games over 500, which is okay like it's it's not the worst it certainly feels a lot better than that two and nine 11 game stretch against american league east opponents which was not that long ago but can you make the argument caitlin considering that your opening day starter has been optioned all the way down to the florida complex league and vladimir guerrero jr has not yet hit a home run at roger center this year it's june and the blue jays are actually in a pretty good spot yeah, I mean, considering those two things, they are not doing half bad. And I mean, the other side is that the Rays just went off to such a crazy start that it probably like looks worse than it actually is. Called, could be better. Um, that two and two and um, nine stretch did not help things, but they seem to be going in the right direction since the calendar flip. They are playing a lot better. They're playing a lot sharper and crisper and like better baseball right now. And feels like only a matter of time before Vladdy hits that home home run. I mean, come on, right? 
It's, it's insane. I, I mentioned it before the break that, um, and this is, listen, war encapsulates everything, right? It's it's defense, it's offense, it's base running. But Dalton Varsho is now level uh, as far as Fangraph's war is concerned with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which is like good for Dalton Varsho, who seems to be turning a corner offensively at least last 20 games or so. But that's quite an indictment, I would say, Caitlin, on, on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And, and I know this, Dalton Varsha was hitting for us, so there were high expectations of him not to be the same player as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as we're in June. Yeah, and, and I, I would assume that Vladdy doesn't gain as much war from playing for space, which nope. is not, is in a position that you can really rack up um, that kind of value and, you know, playing in the outfield as well as Dalton Varsha, who's running past me right now, does. Um, you know, he can kind of rack up a lot of value there. And then, yeah, he's swinging the bat a lot better now. Uh, so it, it's, it's a weird way, I guess, you would put it like that. I'm not sure. I think a lot of people would still say they're, um, you know, happy with the season that Vlad is having. They know there's a lot more in there. Um, I'm sure we'll see a lot more. It feels like he's close. And I know we've been saying, like, that it feels like he's close for the last week. And, you know, he did have a good um, series in New York. He played. Um, pretty well, had a few hits, um, had the home run, and it feels like it's just, like I said a little earlier, just a matter of time before that home run comes in Toronto. But, yeah, it, it's um, yeah some, some weird numbers of this season so far. Yeah, it's not great, I would say, uh, ultimately. Um, as far as the Varsho offense is concerned, like from a process uh, perspective, uh, did, does he... Like, I know the results have been there, but, like, have we seen a different Dalton Varsha with the plate, do you think, the last couple of weeks, three weeks? I think, like, the pitch selection, he kind of mentioned that pitch selection and just um, the, the strikeouts have been way down, and that's been something that's been pretty encouraging about his season is that he's making a lot of contact. He's not striking out a ton. Um, it seems like now he's kind of even more further honing in on the right pitch that he can do damage on. And so I think that's been a focus for him um, the last little bit. And we're obviously seeing some of the returns of that lately. So it's probably just more of that. Um, And just getting into a good rhythm. I think that we probably don't give enough credit or think enough about how difficult it is to make a transition to a new team. I know that Barsha has talked to Matt Chapman a lot about this, um, about, I guess, the transition. And we saw Matt Chapman kind of struggle a lot early on last year when he came to the Blue Jays and just kind of that feeling of not knowing your place, maybe trying to do too much, really wanting to show off for your new team and kind of prove why they wanted you and prove to your new teammates the player that you are. And sometimes that can actually be detrimental. Um, it's like you're trying to do too much and you're actually getting away from your game. And so I think there's been a little bit of an adjustment period. And I know it's it's been a long time that since Varsho's been a Blue Jay, but at the same time, like, it's not that long in baseball time. It's only two months of the season, so I think there's still a bit of adjustment. But I think he's getting really comfortable, and, and maybe this is just kind of the, the sign of a, a breakout for him to come. Uh, so you mentioned Matt Chapman. Uh, him and his only nine toenails are, are in the lineup tonight. Uh, he's hitting fifth. Uh, that month of April was so good, and he, he, and he racked up so much offensive equity in there that – you do. You definitely forgive uh, a lackluster May, and June has been pretty good as well. I wonder where the true Matt Chapman offensively lies, because we have seen this guy be one of the best offensive third basemen in all of Major League Baseball. Second half of last year, he looked a lot better than the first half. I, I don't know if he's as good as that April guy. Like, where is the real Matt Chapman, do you think? Probably somewhere in between, um, which is just the easy answer to say, but 
I, I think that the April was just so stunning um, and how incredible it is. And credit to him because I think that that really um, helped the Blue Jays. That fueled their great month of April, uh, March and April, I guess. And he really was a driving force for them. And so, you know, where would they be without him um, is a, a question. But, yeah, I, I think that one of the things that was mentioned a couple of weeks ago was, you know, maybe in, in May Chapman just got caught up too much. And, again, that trying to do too much, getting out of his approach a little bit and sort of um, maybe with the team struggling as well around him, that reinforced some stuff as well. But I think one of the things that I remember Schneider saying is Simon has to kind of remind himself that a walk is good too. Mm. Um, and, and we've seen him do that a lot lately. And he is a guy that takes quite a few walks, but I think it's just reminding himself, like stick with your approach. And if you don't get a pitch to hit or don't get a pitch to do damage on, you know, take the walk if they're going to give it to you. Because I think one of the things that Matt Chapman really possesses is that great plate discipline uh, and kind of being able to see pitches really well and put up good at bat to see a lot of pitches. Um, and that's a, that contributes to the team's offense as well, even if it's not sort of a direct result. Um, so, yeah, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hasn't hit a home run in a game at Rogers Center, but we have a monitor here. We're watching BP. Uh, he's hit more than a few in BP, obviously, in his career at Rogers Center. But, yeah obviously putting on a power display in batting practice before the game, maybe uh, a sign of things to come for him. Brandon Belt uh, with another double yesterday. It's it's pretty amazing how, like, absolutely lost he looked and looked like he was going to be out of the league, like the first two weeks of the season. Uh, and maybe that was just the result of, of, of a very short and abbreviated spring training for him. But a guy that was coming off such a horrible end to his season last year in, in San Francisco, and there was obvious reasons there with the knee surgery. Um, I mean, you mentioned where would the Blue Jays have been in April without Matt Chapman. Where would the Blue Jays be now if Brandon Belt had not been the Brandon Belt that we've seen recently and continued to look like the guy that we saw the first couple of weeks of April? Yeah, he's been great. I mean, the one thing that you can say about his April, uh, even when he was not getting the results, was his at-bats were pretty good. I think I saw a tweet. I mean, I've seen several tweets about this. It's like Brandon Belt is never not in a 3-2 count. It yes. like, seems like every single at-bat he goes up there. He's seen a ton of pitches. He's always seen, you know, I guess the maximum amount of pitches that he can see in at-bat. He's usually fouling off pitches. He's always been a tough at-bat, and I think for him, there was a level of frustration in April where it was like he knows he was going up there and the process was good but was not getting the results. And, you know, I know he worked behind the scenes on his swing. He told me something a few weeks ago about feeling like the bat was just a bit lazy. So it, like, wasn't getting into the zone quick enough. Um, and he kind of worked on that, getting the bat speed where he wanted it to be. And obviously that, you know, that process worked out really well. He's looked great in, um, in May and continued – into June and the power starting to come. He's definitely hit a, he's hit a ton of doubles, mm -hmm. um, a few home runs and stuff, but that's, you know, that's exactly what the Blue Jays want from him. And uh, he's really settling in. I think like it probably the same thing that I said about Varsho could be applied to Belt as, uh, as well is that it does take some time, especially for a guy that played such a long time um, with one team there with the San Francisco Giants. So Bowden Francis did not get into yesterday's game, although he was like kind of milling around the, the the mound by the by the end of the game. He was not required because uh, Kevin Gossman was always going to be and was that good. Uh, didn't need a long man in that situation. So I imagine he's still in line to to start on Saturday. Of course, pending all the starts in between, whether he is needed uh, before then. I wonder, Caitlin, because yeah, he's his numbers are okay in AAA. Everybody else stinks, right? Like they're all horrible. 
at least from a numbers perspective that we've seen from the International League this year. Lots of teams around Major League Baseball have had to dip into their minor league system to, to, to grab a starting pitcher here and there because, you know, they've been more injured than the Blue Jays because everybody in baseball has been more injured than the Blue Jays. I wonder what is like a reasonable expectation for a team in contention as far as starting pitching depth because it's not like they had the, the Yankees don't have five Garrett Coles waiting mm -hmm. in, in in Scranton but they have like some capable arms and we've seen this Astros team who's like the the best seemingly at creating major league caliber starting pitchers like what I, I would say the Blue Jays don't have enough and they should have been it, it, they should be expected to have more than they have but like what is the realistic expectation for a contending team as far as pitching depth question i don't know like it i wonder if there is like a key answer or a key number that all teams like to have or aim to have i don't i agree with you that i don't think the blue jays have enough i don't know that they had enough and then i think even if everything had worked out swimmingly down there in buffalo and it really hasn't if they still would have even had enough um to begin with right like the thing with them is it, they've kind of transitioned a ton of guys even Bowden francis to some extent into these bulk roles, and I, I know that's maybe the trendy thing in baseball right now. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's kind of like the Rays um, do it a lot, and so it's not only that they don't have a ton of like starting depth, which they don't, and then they don't even have a ton of like traditional starters down there. Like no. even a guy like Thomas Hatch, he used to be a starter. They've transitioned him to a bulk guy. He looks like he's a little bit more comfortable in that role, but you know, at any point of the season, he's not going to be, be able to give you more than three innings. Um, and like Bowden Francis is kind of maybe up to four or five. I think 75 pitches is where he's topped out um, at this season. So it's, it's like, I, I guess there's some utility in having bulk guys. Even Pearson is kind of in a sort of in-between, I guess. I guess they sort of have to decide on him whether or not he is going to be a bulk guy or if he's going to be like a high-leverage one-inning guy. You could probably go either way um, with him. But that's the other thing that I question about the Blue Jays is like, they just seem to be stocking up and converting a lot of these pitchers to bulk, which there is some utility in that. Maybe it makes them flexible, and, you know, you sort of like the idea of that, except for when you do lose a starter who you were hoping was going to haul innings for you, and then all of a sudden you've only got, like, a handful of choices between guys that top out at 75 pitches. Like, what do you do then? You can piece things together, but it's, it's pretty hard. So to answer your question, I mean, I don't know. What do you think, like, it would be like almost having at least, like, four or five because what if there was an absolute catastrophe at your major league level and all yep. five went down? Well, okay, then you could call it five. Like, I mean, I think some teams like Cleveland, um, they're really masterful at it. You mentioned the Astros. Like, it feels like they've had a ton of arms go down, and they, there's sort of an endless supply of guys coming up. You know, the Dodgers as well. They've been um, starting some young guys. Uh, the Mariners are another team um, that I think is really excellent at pitching development. So I would think, like four or five would be a safe number to have. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you. And I think a lot of teams, that those are their own drafted and developed players, right? It's not the Blue Jays going out and getting a Drew Hutchison like as, mm -hmm. as quad A major league starting pitching depth. Like it's, it's, it's just the Blue Jays' inability to, to develop starting pitchers. And it's a great point about the, the conversion to, to bulk guys for a lot of these. And Mitch White is one of those guys who we mm -hmm. thought was going to be part of that, that starting pitching depth. But we just learned a couple of weeks ago that he's no longer viewed as a starter. He's a bulk guy. And I think I have a, I think I know the reason, Caitlin. It's, it's that they all stink, right? They're just trying to maximize what they can get out of him. No offense to Mitch White. Seems like a, a fine fella. 
But that they're like, there's no way this guy can last three times through a batting order, 100 pitches. This guy's going to be shelled by then. Let's see if we can max effort him through, like you say, 75 pitches. To me, that's it. Like, I, I, And maybe Bowden Francis is, is actually good. I mean, his numbers, strikeout numbers are, are real good in, in AAA this year. It just feels like out of necessity, Blue Jays have had to convert these guys from starters to bulk relievers because they haven't been able to get the job done as starters. Right. It, it's kind of like uh, kind of like getting all the juice out of the lemon, I suppose, in yeah. terms of like if it's not working as a starter, try them as a bulk guy. Maybe if it doesn't work as a bulk guy, maybe a high-end reliever, or not high-end reliever, but a one-inning reliever, I should say. Um, you exhaust all options, and the bulk role seems to be this in-between. And like I said, there is some utility to it, having this flexibility, having guys that – can start a game for three innings, can come in the middle for three innings, can just eat up innings. Like, yeah, that's useful to have, but not a whole team of those guys, right? Like, you need a handful. But um, so I, I think that this is an issue. It was an issue for the Blue Jays last year. I will give them credit, though, because they will they have built a very good major league rotation and one that I think that is fairly durable. I mean, yeah. we're not talking about Manoa because he got injured. Like, he just wasn't able to perform. And I think that... If, if, if you're the Blue Jays and you're running through all these different scenarios, I don't know that in all the many scenarios that you could go through, uh, Manoa having to get sent down to the complex league was one of them. I mean, I think we were all pretty stunned um, when that happened and just the entire process of it unfolds, him struggling so badly. So, you know, I give them credit for building a really good rotation and building it around guys that are super durable. Uh, I guess knock on wood here as I'm saying this, but um, – you know, Cosman and Bassett and Barrios and Kikuchi, those are all guys that are super durable. And Manoa as well, healthy, just mm-hmm. not able to perform. No, it's a great point, right? Like, as we look at health, it's like, oh, the Blue Jays have been lucky with their starting pitching health. It's like, okay, there is luck, right? You, you, there's, there's no defense against a comebacker taking your leg off or something. But, yeah, no, you're right. It, it, the, the biggest predictor of, of future injuries is previous injury history, and, mm-hmm. and Blue Jays have uh, acquired people with good injury histories, I mean, that's the, the thing about Jose Barrios. Never spent a, a day on the IL in his entire life. So I mentioned the Bowden Francis of it all. And and the numbers are good. And there was obviously, like, a reason that they 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 went after him in the Rowdy uh, Telez deal. It was, uh, it, it was him and Trevor Richards that came over from the Milwaukee Brewers um, back in, what was that, uh, 2021, when they needed relief help. Like, they were desperate mm-hmm. for it. Um, but they, this is obviously a guy that they targeted, and his numbers in AAA are pretty good. Like, is, is there hope that this guy could be a mainstay at the major league level? I think so. I mean, I think the, he, he struggled last year um, and <clears throat> was not really a, a factor. I think he even lost his 40-man spot last year. So things were not going well. And I know he went away to Winter League this year um, and got a lot of out, out of that experience. And I think the Blue Jays talked yesterday about you know, what they liked from the, from what they saw from him during spring training. I think the results were pretty good. Um, you mentioned the strikeout numbers have been very good um, in AAA this year. And so, you know, it's funny things happen. Sometimes guys emerge out of nowhere. I mean, Manoa was not out of nowhere. He was a top prospect. But he kind of came in right away and just ran with the opportunity. So, that's usually not the um, like likeliest outcome. Um, it's usually somewhere in between. Um, you know, Manoa was pretty rare in the sense that he really didn't have a ton of minor league time, and he just really excelled at the major league level very quickly. Um, and so it's possible that 
uh, Bowden Francis can just step in and really run with the opportunity. You know, also possible that there's an adjustment period, also possible that it doesn't work out. I think the Blue Jays are hoping for uh, sort of the more positive end of that spectrum, um, given, given what we were talking about earlier in this conversation, because this is like sort of like pretty much one of their only options right now. Um, and then I don't know what they do. Like, look outside the organization, maybe. Um, have bullpen days i have no idea they'll, they'll be in trouble if this doesn't work out i think i think so which is bad because he's the first starter <laughs> that's gone down and as 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 durable as all the starters are like i do expect them to need more than just six starters uh, uh this season all right uh before that you go uh caitlin there, there was some some news on some of the injured guys and specifically uh danny jansen tyler heineman getting the start behind the plate today because you know Alejandro Kirk can only catch so many games. Um, and part of, you know, the, the story of his success uh, at the plate has been when he's not overworked behind the plate. And out of necessity, he's had to start a lot of, a lot of games uh, behind the plate with Danny Jansen on the IL. But what, what, is, what is the update on Danny Jansen today? Yeah, so he was running the bases. Um, looked, good, looked good to me. I was watching him. Uh, and I think he reported feeling good afterwards. And so I think that, I guess, if all things go well, he doesn't show up tomorrow feeling sore or anything, then he'll be able to start a rehab stint uh, with Buffalo on Friday. And then he would presumably play a couple games, um, especially with a catcher you want him to get behind the plate. Just, you know, get a feel for it, see how the groin area is, I guess, response to all that crouching and all that stuff, and get him into, like, full-speed game action. And then if everything goes well with Buffalo, I think he would just be able to meet the team next week starting in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, lastly, so Alec Manoa has been optioned to the Florida Complex League. But my understanding is that he's not there yet. Um, when will he arrive? And like, what? How many updates are we going to get from that? Because like the Florida Complex League, they don't even play it like the 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 at the the ballpark there that we watch the spring training games. Like they play like I I was reading a little bit about the Florida Complex League. They don't even charge admission for these games. They're like barely baseball games. Uh, how much information is going to come out of whatever happens to Alec Manoa next? Yeah, so he's going to presumably arrive in Florida tomorrow. Um, I guess based on like every, all the rules and stuff, players always have 72 hours to report once they get options. So he can take his, he can take those days uh, to get down there. And then it's, I don't know in terms of how quickly he'll get into games. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not like a few, few weeks, maybe, I don't know, a week or two maybe even three before he gets in games. I think it all probably depends on how things go in the lab. Um, he'll probably throw on one of their backfields. There's a ton of fields down there at the complex. Like, I think that they're going to use the kind of controlled environment of the complex, um, at least initially, use all the tools, technology, and just, I guess, really assess where he's at. And I don't think there's really any rush to get him into games. And, I mean, realistically, it's like, you know, he's going to be well above the competition at the complex league. It's, it's rookie level, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know that we can infer a ton from once he gets into games. So I'm not sure there would be any sort of rush in terms of getting him to competition because to me, his struggles feel a lot more like him on the mound right now, whether it's delivery, mechanical, mental, physical, all these different things. I think that needs to get sorted. Then you sort of go into the next step of, just throwing strikes and stuff like that and, like, work your way from there. But I, I guess I think I looked at stats from the Complex League before. I know it's relatively new. It yeah. didn't exist that many years ago because there was other short season leagues and the minor leagues got um, trunk 
And so I think there's some information that comes out of those. But, yeah, you're right. I don't know that we'll get a ton of updates. No. Uh, and, yeah, I think you're right. It'll uh, take a, a week at least uh, before we see him on a mound in a competitive environment. Uh, Caitlin, thanks so much. Enjoy the game. Yeah, of course. Thank you. There's Caitlin McGrath, uh, Blue Jays reporter for The Athletic. Matt Chapman back in the lineup today, as I mentioned, uh, playing third base. Brandon Belt is the DH today. Tyler Heineman doing the catching. He's batting ninth. So Kevin Kiermaier for second straight day, not able to add to his major league leading hit total out of the nine spot. He's hitting eighth. Hurts him. We need to create a like the sixth man of, of the year award in the NBA. We need a ninth hitter of the year award in major league baseball. Uh, this would hurt Kevin Kiermaier's campaign for that. All right. Blue Jays and Astros today. Blue Jays trying to secure themselves of at least a series split. Chris Bassett on the mound. Blair and Barker have you for the next two hours before first pitch. Ben Wagner down at Rogers Center. I'm Ben Ennis. This has been the Fan Drive Time Sportsnet 590 The Fan.